Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. All right, so I am going to be sharing a little bit with you as time goes on about my basketball season coaching the Chesterton Academy of Notre Dame Knights. I had my first full practice yesterday with 11 young ladies. That was so awesome. Uh, But I'm only going to share about it in a way that would relate to your life of faith. So I'll do that. But I also want to talk about holy art and growth in faith. So we're going to go in two different directions today, but one goal, helping you come alive in faith. Back in a minute. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. Let's pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, I love you. In Jesus' name, I approach you. And may the gift of your Holy Spirit, Father, be stirred within me. As I share today, I ask, Lord, that you would give me the grace I need to honor you and to glorify your Son for the gift of life, for the gift of new life, Lord. Please, Jesus, give us grace, give us mercy. Lord, we do want to know and fulfill your will. Help us with that, Lord. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so today in the program, I've got two different areas I'm going to talk about. I'll start with a discussion on holy art and uh, it'll probably take the whole program, but I, I will come back around at some point and talk about the way that I'm connecting athletics to life, and not just life, but to a life of faith for the young women that I'm coaching. And I'm using the acronym NIGHT, which is the Chesterton Academy of Notre Dame um, uh, mascot, the Knights. And so uh, I think that's really cool. Like a lady knight, think of St. Joan of Arc, right? So I'll talk about that. And and I do so because there are some wonderful principles that when we apply them will really help us to to live well today, right? You want to have a good day. You want to have a good day today. And these principles are going to help you have a good day as a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's a human being. Right, as human beings, that there are basic principles and practices, there are certain strategies and tactics that we can implement to help us live a good life. I, I'm going to start, though, by sharing one of the strategies, one of the tactics that the Catholic Church has shown in her 2,000 years of history to implement to help us, us, the faithful, the members of the Church, to be able to grow in our faith, to be formed in our faith, 
to live our faith well. And that's art and architecture. Art and architecture have a like a, a really beautiful part to play. Well, beautiful part to play. <laughs> art and oh, that's not a good that's not a well chosen word. Uh, art and architecture have a wonderfully important role to play in helping us to appreciate the, the glory of God and can enhance our faith in ways that can complement and supplement uh, when we read, when we sit in silence, uh, when we are out in the, in the world that God has created. And so I, I wanna, I'm going to start with a, a principle a principle, and then move from the principle to some of the actual ways that you see that showing up in uh, in our life of faith through by giving you some examples of works of art. Okay, some actual works of art, uh, holy art, and um, and and some uh, church structures. Okay, uh, I'm going to begin with the. Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception. The Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception is in Washington, D.C. It's on the grounds of the Catholic University of America, where I uh, studied and and got my Ph.D. in systematic theology. So I want to talk about the, let's call it the profile of the Catholic University, of the uh, Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception. The profile, the if you looked along the entire length of it, which you can from this uh, beautiful area of grass that you have, uh, and the buildings at Catholic University are sort of built around this this plaza, this uh, open area of grass, uh, and uh, that you know students will walk and and all of that. And the reason why this comes up in relationship to art. Is because of my spiritual director and uh, a very holy priest, philosophy professor of mine, Father Mark Noonan. You've heard me talk about him. And I was meeting with him uh, as I, uh, over several times as I was getting ready to go to Washington, D.C. and pursue the, the PhD in systematic theology. And I, I said to him, I said, Father, you know, Father Noonan, will you give me some guidance? Give me some insight. Give me some wisdom that I can take with me to help me to enter in and engage as a doctoral student, as a PhD student. And uh, he said, the first thing he said, <laughs> first thing he said, it wasn't, you know, live a, you know, make sure that you, uh, you know, uh, get a lot of sleep, make sure you, uh, you know, don't. Uh, don't spend too much money, uh, choose your friends wisely. What he said was, contemplate form. <laughs> contemplate beautiful form. And I, I, can, I can remember writing that down. Like, okay, here I am. I'm going to get some great wisdom. Here we go. Contemplate form. And I'm like, all right. Thanks, Father. That's super helpful. And he said, no, make it, a, make it a standard practice. Make it a discipline of life where you'll go and you'll sit and you'll gaze upon a beautiful object, an object that has a beautiful form, shape, structure. 
and just do that. And it will have profound effects on you. And, and you know, you hear that, and what do you say? Like, okay, that sounds kind of hokey. It sounds a little bit like, really, that's the best wisdom you can give me is contemplate form? And I knew Father Noonan well enough from taking both philosophy and theology classes from him, as well as, you know, being a directee of his as my spiritual director, and had enough conversations with him through these to, to know that just do it. Don't You don't have to understand it. Just do it. So I arrived at Catholic University and remembering his guidance, said to myself, okay, contemplate form. Okay, what's a beautiful form for me to contemplate? It was, in fact, the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception. And the vantage point that I had to look, it wasn't on the inside. It wasn't walk around on the inside and look at beautiful statues and the beautiful chapels and the main, uh, the main uh, nave, the, the main area of the church with the incredible, you know, Hercules Jesus, uh, Jesus the all-powerful one on, on the dome and the cupola. Um, no, it was the outside, looking at the structure of the profile of the side of the church that was there uh, adjacent to the campus of Catholic University. And there was a walkway and there, were, and there were some benches. And so I would sit at this bench and I would just contemplate form. I would gaze upon the side of the basilica. And I would do it for 20 minutes, half an hour. And, and, and I know you might be thinking, Tom, that's kind of weird. And, and let me tell you, it, it actually had a, a really profound impact on my life. And what was the really profound impact that Father Noonan said it would? It helped me become attuned to the way in which the elements of the architecture of the building, the elements were in proper order, the way that they harmonized, the balance and weight of the different aspects of the building itself and the, the 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 basic idea is that at one glance and at first glance you may take in the totality of the form you you see obviously at one glance the, the entirety of the basilica but you don't appreciate the harmony of the elements the the the, the way in which the the building was, this beautiful church was built up and, and the way that it expanded out and the, and the different buttresses and, and the stained glass windows and all of these different elements, the way they harmonized together. And those would only become apparent, become known to me through a contemplative gazing upon this beautiful form. And it would only come through my being willing to just be there and to gaze upon that beautiful form and to allow that beautiful form to begin to show itself to me. I know this sounds odd, but there was a, there's, there's a bit of a rigor. There's a bit of a discipline. Think of like the discipline of someone who's learning an instrument or learning a, a skill in a sport. Uh, it's like that. There's a discipline 
associated with becoming sensitized when we look at a form to get a sense of the harmony of the elements that are present or not present in this particular object that I'm gazing at. Now, Father Newton didn't make this up. This was actually goes all the way back to Plato in one of his dialogues, uh, Socratic dialogues. Uh, Socrates is asked, how do I teach someone, how do I teach my child what, the, what is beautiful? And, you know, Plato's message is, give that child a beautiful object to play with, to have, and, and to be present to, right? It, is, it wasn't his language, but let that child gaze upon and be present to and engage with a beautiful object. And over time, the discipline of their mind is that they'll begin to get a sense and a sensitivity to the beauty of that object. And that's something that I took beyond the, the profile of the basilica um, as I would sit there. I, it also was something that I would take to other works of art. And it could be a secular work of art. I can remember I'd go to the National Gallery of Art and I would go through the rooms and I would go to this one particular statue of uh, this woman who was, uh, who was just, uh, just kind of standing there. And I would take up different stances, different angles, and I would kind of circle around this uh, statue of this woman and look at one angle, just stand there gazing upon the statue, and then I would kind of move 30 degrees, and I would gaze again for 10 minutes, looking at the statue, just allowing it to come in, and, 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 and I would continue to do that. And I can remember the guard would come in every once in a while and look at me, and like, okay, what is this guy doing? <laughs> and, and what would happen is I would become aware of, attuned to, not only like the beauty of this statue, but the limitations of it. Wow, the, the neck is too long. It's off. It's not the head and neck are not centered perfectly on the uh, where the shoulders are. But I also notice, wow, there's a there's a kind of forward movement that this statue evokes because if you if you gaze upon the statue long enough, you begin to realize this woman is is kind of leaning forward. Is there's almost this energy of of being running or in a rush or or that there's there's a a kind of urgency that is here. And again. You're not going to pick all that up, either the limitations or the, the power, the, the, the way in which this statue is conveying something, unless you learn how to be present to it, unless you learn how to gaze upon this beautiful form and allow it to show up. Now, I'm going to connect this to, believe it or not, your life as a disciple, in two simple ways. And then we're going to go take a look at works of art that will give you an example of this. All right. So first I want to connect it to your life because you might be thinking, all right, if, if you're doing all this time just so that you're going to try to convince me to look at beautiful works of art, you got another thing coming. And, and the answer is this has everything to do with living a fully human life and enhancing your spiritual life. Because in the spiritual life, there are many things that we do that are active, active things that we do. Uh, and uh, a lot of those activities, when they are activities in our brain, involve analysis, where we stand apart from an object and we, uh, we scientifically attempt to master the object and 
um, we dissect it, if you will. We analyze it and break it up into its components and understand what it is. But there's an entirely complementary way of relating to that object. It's the contemplative way, the contemplative gazing upon, and you're not analyzing anything. You're present to it, and you allow it to show up. You don't have to approach it. You allow it to manifest itself to you. This actually is connected to how we look upon our loved ones, our spouses, our children, our grandchildren, the people we see around us, everybody, even God himself. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Okay, I, in the first part of the program, I'm making a, a point that is underappreciated, not emphasized, poorly understood, because it hasn't really often been taught, and yet is one of the most fundamental ways that we will grow into the later stages of the spiritual journey. The higher stages of the spiritual life principally involve a contemplative approach to God, a contemplative attitude in our prayer, a gazing upon and being open to receive and allow the manifestation of God or of some truth of our faith or some mystery of our our life of faith to manifest itself, and we respond. Discernment is not so much about analyzing situations as it is as being receptive to them so that where God is at work will show up. When we are analyzing things, we stand apart from them. We have a degree of independence of, from them. We attempt to get control over them and master them in that independent stance. And therefore, we can exhaust the reality, so we think, and then there's nothing left. And, and there's a way in which, like for instance, when you think about a Bible, one approach to a Bible, one way of relating to that book that you call a Bible is a Bible study, where you study a text of the Bible. And you can study the text and attempt to master the content of that particular text of the Bible by applying different methods that are quote-unquote scientific methods of interpreting a text. And those scientific methods of interpreting a text will say, well, what's the genre? What kind of writing is it? Is it historical writing? Is it poetic writing? Is it a parable? Is it an exhortation? Is it a letter? Uh, Is it a teaching? What's the type of writing it is? And then you could take a look and say, well, when was it written? And to whom was it written? And what were the questions that the text was meant to address? And what are the themes in the text? And who is the author of the text? And what do we know about... The, the author's understanding of a particular theme by looking at the other as, the other writings from that author and, and being able to then, right? So those are Bible study questions. It's very different than a contemplative attitude that you can have towards the scriptures where you open the scriptures in prayer. You, you pray for the Holy Spirit. You ask Jesus to come and speak to you. He is the word of God. You ask the Father to come lovingly to speak to his children, like it says in Dei Verbum, uh, and, uh, or in Agente, sorry, uh, one of the documents of the Second Vatican Council. And, and you say, Lord, I want to meet you. I want to meet you. And you can, you can open up the Bible all day, and you can study, 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 analyze, 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 and you'll never have an encounter. Because an encounter with God is not something that you can analyze your way into. It's something that you can await, 
with expectant faith. You can seek and ask and knock. You can be present. You can be still. You can, it's Isaiah 30, 15. By waiting and by calm, you shall be saved. In silence and in strength, I'm sorry, in silence and in trust, your strength lies. Waiting, calm, silence, trust. That's what Father Noonan was getting at. When he said contemplate form, learn to develop the human capacity, the human attitude of being receptive, docile, open, available, contemplative, gazing upon the reality that is in front of you. Allow what is hidden, allow the, the, the deeper essence, the, 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 the identity of that reality to come out into the open. It may not be apparent on the surface immediately, but by gazing upon a beautiful form and being there with a patient, loving, awaiting, the different elements, the harmonious elements that are there at the surface can come to alignment and then the deeper reality the essence that the truth of the the matter the goodness of the matter come out into the open and are addressing themselves to us speak to us communicate to us and we receive them we receive it into ourselves that that approach to life is so foreign in the 21st century, with a scientific mindset, a scientific mentality, a scientific approach to thinking, to, uh, to life, with all of its analysis. And so I'm going on here because I am pleading with you, please, there are, there are the deeper dimension of our life of faith, one of the, one of, one of the, resources that we've got to get off the sideline and into the game of our life is contemplative reflecting. Contemplative reflecting upon our loved ones. Contemplative reflecting upon the, the truths of our faith. Contemplative reflecting upon the beauty of God's creation. And what I'm pointing to today, contemplative reflecting upon beautiful works of art and the powerful difference they can make for our life of faith. So, with that principle in mind, gaze upon a beautiful form, that is, be open to allow that form, that beautiful work of art now, to speak to us. It's going to form and shape and mold us at a human level and even at a supernatural level. Okay, let's start with the first example. Uh, A church that is unknown to... Pretty much all of you is San Lorenzo Church in Pinzolo, Italy, and there's no reason for it to be known. Really, it's a, a tiny village at the end of a long, um, um, what, what do you call that? Uh, a long um, valley in the Italian uh, Italian Alps, the Dolomites, and it was the town that is immediately next to the incredibly tiny village where my mom was born. And so when we would go and visit, and when I was living in Italy and had a chance to go visit Pinzolo uh, and the other surrounding tiny villages where 
I still have family because of my mom. Um, the Catholic Church in, in Pinzolo is San Lorenzo. And in San Lorenzo, when you go into the nave, into the main body of the church, on the left-hand side, there's a painting of St. Francis of Assisi. No surprise, St. Francis, a, a patron saint of Italy, uh, again, probably the most beloved saint after our Blessed Mother and St. Joseph. And this was a painting of St. Francis that was, uh, it was, it was rare. I, I hadn't really seen this particular paint, uh, uh, theme in the life of St. Francis. Uh, the, life invo- the, the picture involves a cave. And this cave, uh, and, and, and Francis is outside the cave, it's outside the, like, the mouth of the cave, is referring to the place that Francis would hike up to uh, on the outskirts of Assisi. He would hike up to pray uh, up in this area where there was this small cave. And in the particular painting, Francis was a little bit off-center to the right-hand side, again, just outside the mouth of the cave, and he's kneeling down. He's kneeling down, and he is looking at a, uh, an object that is one of the only other objects in the entire painting. And it's a cross. It's like a cross fashioned out of a couple of sticks and kind of tied together at the meeting point of the two sticks. And it's Francis gazing upon the cross. And if you were to contemplatively gaze upon that painting, your eyes would be drawn first to the only... The, the central object of the painting, which is Francis. Okay, so do that. And I did that. And so as I gazed upon Francis, just s- sitting quietly, contemplating it, like I didn't analyze it, like how big is that painting? What are the shades of this color? And what, what are the, how many colors are at work there? And uh, are, are these objects uh, like uh, properly correct historically? No, I was just gazing upon Francis. And the more I gazed upon Francis, the more that my eyes were drawn towards that which Francis looked at. Okay, did you hear that? So the more I looked at Francis, the more my eyes were drawn towards that which Francis was looking at. (laughs) That at which Francis was looking. My eyes were drawn to the cross. And it was an incredibly powerful lesson. And, and, and it's simply put, what you gaze upon shows up in your life. When people look at you, when people gaze upon you, what they will be drawn to is that to which you make the primary object of your attention and concern. What are you concerned about? What are you thinking about? What are you pondering in your mind? What are you allowing to go over and over and over in your imagination and your memory and in your thinking? And, and what you're contemplating in your mind, what you're gazing upon with, with your own life energy, the energy of your mind and your heart uh, in your thinking, that's what's going to show up in your life. People will be drawn to that by gazing upon you. In addition to that is the like the higher level one. So that's at a human level. At a higher level, it's am I 
gazing upon the cross of Christ enough. St. Francis gazed upon the cross of Christ, the crucifix of Jesus, so much, what happened to him? He received the stigmata, the five wounds of Christ, the wounds of Christ in his hands and his feet and his side. The wounds of Christ appeared on his body. They were impressed upon his body. They were expressed from the inside of his body because his own union, his own coming into contemplative union with the cross of Christ was so great, boom, it expressed itself in his very body. Another powerful, beautiful Christian reminder, a reminder in our life of faith That as we grow in union with God in a hidden, intimate, profound union with the living God in our hearts, in our souls, that living union with God, boom, will express itself in our lives. I'm not saying you're going to get the stigmata. I can actually tell you, you're not going to get the stigmata. You're not going to get the wounds of Christ. But that which you are in union with, the quality and depth the profundity of the union you have with God is going to express itself in your life. As surely as St. Francis expressed his union with Christ crucified through the stigmata, your life will express something of your union with Jesus Christ in your life. Again, not the stigmata, but there will be a manifest uh, demonstration, expression of the life that you are contemplating, that you're gazing upon. And so please think about this. Think about the powerful effect of what you spend your time thinking about at a human level. It's going to show up. People will know. Like, are you okay? You seem upset. Are you okay? You seem nervous. Are you okay? You seem a little bit overwhelmed, or, hey, what's going on? You seem so happy. You seem so free. You're so much at peace, right? All of that, right? So this is, this is what you have as a fundamental structure of your human life. But in your life of faith, do you have any idea the power that is available to you to transform your life if you are willing to engage in a contemplative gazing upon a beautiful work of art. If you're not convinced yet, I want to share with you the beautiful transforming impact of a beautiful work of art on my life. And I guess I shouldn't even call it a like a beautiful work of art. I should call it a form of sacred art, which is an icon. And this was an icon that was given to me by a, a priest who was in charge of a prayer group. And uh, he gave me, it was like a smaller icon, I don't know, like f- six by eight, five by seven size icon of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. The raising of Lazarus from the dead. So John 11, right? The story of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And this is at that point in the the story of of the account of Lazarus being raised from the dead, where the they're at the tomb, the stone is rolled away, and you see a woman down at the feet of Jesus, right, Mary, 
down at the feet of Jesus because she was saying, Lord, I know that, you know, if you were here, you would have saved my brother, Lazarus. And and uh, Martha is also there standing a little bit back in the scene. And most importantly, you do have, uh, you know, obviously you have Jesus there and you have Lazarus there. And Lazarus is, he's standing up, but he looks like a mummy. <laughs> he's sort of wrapped in these cloths, head to toe, standing there. And uh, it's like, oh, okay, so it, it's the icon of that scene. And I said, well, actually, most important for this particular insight that this icon can be a window into the event itself and how it can impact our lives if we contemplatively gaze upon it. There are two other figures in the story, main figures in the, in the icon. Who else would be here? Well, not who you think. And I'll tell you who they are in just a minute on Sound Insight and the impact that it had to gaze upon that icon. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Hey, welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. So here we are. We're close to the end of the liturgical year. So it's a time to contemplate, to reflect upon, to ponder the truths of our faith related to the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And I will be doing that, not today, but I'm kind of teeing it up as a way of saying, hey, as we contemplate and learn how to gaze upon a beautiful form Gaze upon, in this instance, a beautiful form of an icon that is manifesting the, the form of this scripture. As we contemplate the scripture and the beautiful expression in an icon, it can have a transformative effect on our lives. So in this particular icon of the raising of Lazarus from the dead, there are two other figures I mentioned, besides Martha and Mary, besides Lazarus all wrapped up, and besides Jesus, and, and in the background figures as well, the, you know, the people that were crying, etc. There are two other figures. Who are these two other figures? They're angels. Two angels. And what are these angels doing? Well, they, are, they each have a hand on one of the strips of cloth. So... If you can remember the, like the culminating line of the account of the raising of Lazarus from the dead, it's like John eleven forty four, is where after Lazarus is told come out and he comes out bound hand and foot, and then what does Jesus say? Unbind him and let him go free. Unbind him. Untie him. And let him go free. And when I hear that, when I was given this icon, I was encouraged to pray with it. To pray with that icon. Contemplatively. 
to gaze upon it, not to study it and analyze it, but to just be present to the icon. Because the icon, again, is, it's like a window that is an invitation for the one who is prayerfully praying with the icon, praying in the presence of this icon, of this holy event on display, the spirituality of praying with icons is that you receive a privileged access point to encounter the event or the person that is depicted. And so what did I end up doing? Well, this was during my first year in the seminary. And in my first year in the seminary, coming out of two years of studying electrical engineering, and so therefore advanced math, right, beyond the first couple levels of calculus, my entire cast of mind was analysis and study. Analysis, seek proofs, seek clarity, analyze, control something, master it, stand apart from it, be objective, and and master that content. And what I struggled with the most was entering into philosophy, the liberal arts, that I needed to complement, not set aside and reject, but to complement scientific modes of knowledge that come through analysis and the scientific method and complement those with the contemplative approach. And so this ended up being an incredible gift to me Because at a human level, what did I end up doing in my prayer time? Well, my prayer time, I'd pray for about an hour in front of the presence of this icon of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And and my my prayer, like my, my prayer time went as follows. I would, first of all, read the account in the scriptures, John 11. And, and at that point, I had a tremendous sense of devotion to reading the scriptures and had that sense of encountering the Lord in the scriptures. So bringing that sense of the experience of faith and the, the active, activated faith, that this is the word of God, a place of encounter, Lord Jesus, come and meet me in your scripture, I would read that scripture, and I would do so gazing upon the icon, and then I would sit in silence and contemplatively look at this beautiful object, this icon. And in doing so, I couldn't control an outcome. I couldn't make something happen. I couldn't cause some effect by saying, if I stayed here for 15 minutes, I would have less of an effect if I stayed for 30 minutes. No, that's not the way it works. But I could wait with calm in silence and trust, Isaiah thirty fifteen. I could just gaze and, and look and, and wait and just be present in silence. I don't have to think anything. I don't have to do anything. In fact, be still, be still, be still. And I would repeat John eleven forty four. And I'd make it personal. Not unbind him and let him go free. But I would say, Jesus, unbind me and let me go free. I would say that a couple of times, and then I would just 
be still, unbind me, and let me go free. And I would just sit in silence, and I would actually put on as background music for a time a Taze chant called Aduramus Te Domine, We Adore You, O Lord. And it's just a simple repetitive, We Adore You, Lord. And I did that for months. Months. And it changed my life. Brothers and sisters, it changed my life. I, it was incredibly active. Okay, that's kind of a word you weren't expecting. Because you could think, oh, it's so passive. You're just sitting there. What are you doing? You're just sitting there. You're doing nothing. No, it's an incredibly active and exerting form of prayer. Being still in waiting with expectant faith, gazing upon and awaiting the manifestation of of a new dimension, a new depth, a new facet of the mystery of this encounter that I'm having with the event of of the raising of Lazarus from the dead and and being open for the Lord to to come and, and to surface from within me some part of my life that is bound up, that he is going to say, I'm going to unbind you and let this, you're going to go free from not being trusting to being able to trust. I'm going to unbind from your life a memory where a harsh word was spoken to you and it wounded you. I'm going to unbind you and let you be free from that harsh word. I'm going to unbind you from the shame that you still carry within you, from sins that are long forgiven. They're not in my mind. I'm not holding them against you. I'm going to unbind you from the shame. I'm going to unbind you from the belief that you have to earn God's love. You have to earn my love. That somehow you're lovable and and you're blessed by me because of the amazing life you're living. I'm going to unbind that from you so that you don't have to hide or perform or think that you have to put on a mask if you're not perfect in your own ways of thinking. I'm going to unbind that from you. So many dimensions of my life, brothers and sisters, of my interior life, became unbound and set free through contemplative gazing upon a beautiful form. Whether that's the scripture, the account of the story is a beautiful form. Whether it's an icon and that beautiful form, whoever it was that, uh, what do they call that, Uh, wrote that icon. I think that's the, the proper phrase of painting an icon is to write an icon. They don't know what they're painting when they get started and they write that icon after a result of a prayer and fasting and other discipline and and they included those angels. And, and that was the moment, that was the scripture that came alive in that icon was John eleven forty four, And the angelic part of it, it made it that whoever, whoever quote unquote wrote that icon changed my life. God changed my life through that icon. Contemplating a beautiful form. Brothers and sisters, this is a, a way for us to grow in our spiritual lives that we must recover. We must seek to enhance and advance in our life of faith. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. (music) 
Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. I'm, I'm sharing with you about some beautiful works of art and the way that they are um, helpful for us to, uh, to be able to, to see a beautiful form, to contemplate a beautiful form. I have a couple of other stories to share on that, but I also said that I was going to talk about the way in which I was uh, coaching these varsity, this varsity basketball team uh, at the Chesterton Academy of Notre Dame. My daughter's a freshman. I agreed to coach. And so it was the first full team practice happened yesterday. So gathered these 11 young ladies. Most of them are freshmen, and it's going to be quite a season. And so the first thing I did, um, gathered them together and gave them a chance to say, why are you here? Like, what brought you out to, to be part of this team? And, uh, and then I said, hey, here's why I'm here. And I shared sort of my vision. And I said, I want to encapsulate this into an acronym. And I used the, the team mascot, the Knights, right? The Knight, Knights. So the Chesterton Academy of Notre Dame Knights. And I said, I'm going to describe it through this acronym uh, of that uh, the first letters of the uh, uh, each of the letters of knights are going to stand for something so k is know thyself n is now is the time i is improve every day g is game plan h is the hard easy t is team first and s is strive for the heights and this isn't intended just to be kind of cutesy. This is intended to form these young ladies. Now, is my goal to form these young ladies as basketball players, as wonderful human beings who can flourish, or as godly daughters or daughters of God who will be able to better fulfill the call they have in their lives to be saints living out their God-given mission? And you know the answer. The answer is yes. If they can live out what I and pouring into them through the acronym Knights is specifically intended to help them be a better basketball player and a better basketball team, be better human beings, and be better Catholic Christian disciples of Jesus to know and live their God-given mission. Well, how is that the case? Well, let's start with each, let's go through each of these quickly. So K is know thyself. And this is what I said to them. I said, my goal in coaching you is to help you know who you are. And who you are is not, first of all, a basketball player. Who you are is a child of God. You are a daughter of the king. And over the course of the season, we're going to explore what it means that you're a daughter of the king, that you are one for whom Christ died. And I am committed to interacting with you, first of all, not based on the gifts you have on the basketball court, but on the gift you are as a daughter of God. And oh, by the way, know thyself. That also means I want you to know that for yourself, that you have a dignity and a worth that is yours because you're a daughter of God, that you're this gift. Oh, but know thyself also means that you get a sense of clarity of your current reality as a basketball player. And so I am going to be working with them on assessing their own skill level as a player, their own ability and gifts, and then also to be able to raise up a vision, know yourself, where can you go? What, what, what can you become? How can you achieve uh, some advance in your gifts? 
So that's the K. And now is the time. Now is the time is all about focusing on the present moment. And so it's not carrying the burdens of the day or the, the joys and, and excitement of the day into the present moment, neither the worries and concerns of the future into this present moment. But now is the time is about focusing on the present because the present is what we have. And so I, I want to teach them how to discern. Discerning is about paying attention to what God is doing in the present moment. How important is that? That is so critical for living a life of faith that these ladies will learn how to pay attention to the present moment because that's what you that that's where decisions are made. That's what you have the ability to control and take action on and make a decision about is what is in the present. And you don't want to have an overburden, an overburdening of the present. And, and, the, and the clarity of what you ought to do in the present by the weight of the past or of the worries of the future. And so, you know what? This is going to be really, really important for them as uh, members of this basketball team. They're going to have to be present in the moment, whether it's in the practice, how am I using my time well, or when I'm on the court, what am I supposed to be doing right now? Pay attention to the present moment. What am I supposed to be doing right now? Okay, next. Uh, so that's K. And now is the time I is improve every day. And so this is one of those uh, uh, important principles that say um, you're not meant to just stagnate and accept where you're at. You're called to grow. You're called to uh, excel. You're called to, to, to do and become something great, right? So I'll introduce other themes in the future, like magnanimity, strive to do something great for God. But you're not going to improve all at once. You look at the the parables of Jesus, he often uses farming parables because the sowing of the seed, you're going to only improve a little bit at a time. So don't uh, don't expect that you're going to be able to jump to the perfection, but you should expect that as we practice, you're going to have revealed those areas that you need to work on, the things that you're not that good at. So how are you going to improve? Well, that leads to the next one, which is game plan. What's your game plan? And I told them how... It's my job as a coach to create a good game plan for their team to be able to be successful against that team. And so that means know what you're facing and prepare for it. How do you understand the strengths that the other team has and how are you going to overcome them and diminish them? What are the weaknesses they have and how do you exploit them? And vice versa, right? Our strengths and our weaknesses. And so it's my job to game plan and then incorporate the insights that come from our game plan back into the practices <coughs> themselves. And so what we're doing in practice is intimately connected to the plan that I'm implementing for the game itself. And, and then I said, well, this also Im- involves you. What's your game plan as you come into practice every day, as you wake up in the morning every day? What is your plan today to be able to be the best contributor that you can be to this basketball team. Guess what? By doing that, what am I teaching them? <coughs> Excuse me. I'm teaching them how to live a good life, I'm teaching them how to be responsible as young adults and helping to equip them to be able to uh, move forward from high school into college where, guess what, you better have a game plan day to day or you're going to really struggle mightily and that might not turn out uh, well for you. <coughs> Excuse me. So game plan, that's the G. What's your game plan? 
And then H. H is the hard easy. And you've heard me talk about the hard easy here on Sound Insight. The bonum arduum, the difficult good. There are goods that we are going to uh, be asked to pursue if we're going to mature and mature into adults. And so as we mature into adults, we should expect the hard easy. You choose to do what's hard now, and it's going to get easier. If you settle to only do, to only do what's easy, life's going to get harder. That's the Catholic understanding of virtue. Virtue is easy. It happens promptly and with joy. But when the virtue doesn't exist, then doing the good thing, doing what displays human excellence, is done reluctantly. It's done with great difficulty. It's done without joy. So that's the hard easy. And then we have T. T is team first. And it's abundantly clear that the only chance that we have to be able to win a game is to function as a team. The kind of defense we're going to play, the kind of offense we're going to play, it involves a team. The team operating as a unit. And so learning how to support, encourage, and hold each other accountable, which can mean, again, encouraging each other in practice itself. You're doing a great job cheering each other on, but also calling each other to Um, you you know, you're better than that. You can do better than that. Come on, let's go. What a a great gift to be able to bring into your life, as well as, oh, by the way, into your life of faith. And so that's T. And then S is strive for the heights. So strive for the heights is a blessed Pier Giorgio Frassati idea, um, which is uh, verso l'alto, towards the height. Right? And, and what's the idea? That a great adventure awaits if we're willing to strive for the heights, if we're willing to go to the peak, to the summit, to the very top. The journey will be difficult, but the reward will be amazing. The, and, and I talked about the transfiguration and how Jesus chose Peter, James, and John among the apostles to make that journey up the mountain. And because they said yes, and they were willing to exert themselves and do the hard easy and get to the top of the mountain, they experienced the glory of God. And I said, that's my hope, is that we will make that journey. We've been called by Christ to be here, and we'll experience the glory of God. So that's my hope. That's my goal. Knights, knights, know thyself. Now is the time. Improve every day game plan, uh, the hard easy, team first, and strive for the heights. What was interesting was the number one most common, when I went around, I said, which one struck you? Which one struck you? Which one are you thinking about? It was the hard easy. I love that. I love that that several of these young women gravitated to that and said, you know what? You just gave me an entire like way of looking at my life that I ought to embrace difficult things because if they're going to forge me forge in me a virtue a a display of human excellence that's worth it and that's what i should expect i love that all right well i'm up against the end of my program contemplate that beautiful form there you go of knights and see how that can also impact your life i'm at the end of my program god bless your day join me tomorrow for more sound insight